The theme is this, that human beings have been separated by God, from God by sin. That's the whole Adam and Eve story. And, and because of their sin, that has become part of us. We have inherited a sinful nature. And, you know, we just naturally are inclined so often to want to do what's wrong as a result. And that sinful nature is the single greatest barrier to us getting back to God. That's what God longs for, to get back into relationship with us, to get us back to Him. So after that experience of, of, of sin and of fall and of disaster, if you would, God established a plan and he started to form a nation through Abraham and Sarah. And uh, then the nation was saved by Joseph. That was the last uh, chapter, chapter 3. And through Joseph, uh, the family of, 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 of his father and of his brothers, Jacob, they survived the nation and the ancestors of that nation survived. As they all went down to Egypt to get the food that was necessary in a time of famine. And of starvation in, in the known world. Um, and and chapter, begin, chapter 4 begins 430 years later. A long time has passed. Um, the memory of Joseph is gone. The Israelites have grown in, in great number. Um, they've become a threat to the Egyptians. And as a result, they have been made slaves of the Egyptians. Things are not looking so good anymore. Things have changed. We pick up the story and things get particularly tough. Pharaoh commands, because he's again feeling even as slaves that these Israelite people are a threat to his rule and reign, he, he commands that all the male boys born to the Israelites be murdered, their lives be taken. And make no mistake, in this instance, God's plan, his upper story plan, his intention for humanity is threatened. Evil is trying to shut down the upper story. Evil is trying to destroy the plan of God to get us back to him. The people, the Israelites, they're hopeless and they're helpless. They're, they're struggling not only with that reality, but under the, the power of slavery and, and oppression. They're beaten down. They are overpowered. They are suffering. And my friends, they need to be delivered. That's what chapter 4 is all about. That's the title of the chapter, Deliverance. Um, that's their lower story. That's their experience in the moment, and it's not pretty. Now, just before we really jump in, take a, take a moment about your lower story, your experience of life, your experience of God. Have you, ever need to be, have you ever needed to be delivered from anything? Do you need it right now? You know, we all need to be delivered in some way. Maybe a financial crisis has impacted your life and you can't see your way through. You're hopeless, you're helpless. It's a lost cause. Maybe it's a health crisis that hits and of course that's so much out of our control. Maybe you're addicted to something and it's destroying your life and your relationships and you can't break free of that power. Maybe there's a relationship that's precious to you that's breaking down and that breakdown is tearing at your heart. You see, a powerful force is at work in us and without the deliverance of God, there's no hope. You relate to that? Can you connect to that possibility? Well, long after, um, uh, as the story progresses and, and develops and grows, God shows up to deliver these people, the Israelites. God comes, and it's through a man named Moses. Um, Moses was brought up as a prince of Egypt. You might have seen the movie. Um, but one day he sees a, 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 a Hebrew slave being beaten, one of his fellow countrymen being beaten by an Egyptian guard or soldier, and he decides to take matters into his own hands, and he kills the guard. He wants to fix things 
himself. But that doesn't work well, and in the end, he has to flee to save his life. Decades pass, and one day Moses is in the wilderness, and he encounters God in a burning bush. Have you ever encountered God? Somehow, some way? Moses sees this bush burning, but it doesn't burn up. It's, and God speaks to him, and God says, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt, and I want you to lead the Israelites to freedom. You're my man. He doesn't want to go, of course, and he makes excuses. I can't speak. I don't have the ability. Please ask someone else. But God says no. He says, I want you to go, and I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Six times that phrase is used in Exodus. And I want to tell you, my friends, it's the heart of God for his people. That they be free. Well, this, as the story unfolds, God reveals three things about himself. Three things just shine through the story, and the first thing he reveals is his name. Now, in Scripture, the name of any character gives reference to the person, to the character of the, the, the individual. It's all about who they are, their identity, if you would. Happens when Moses, you know, after he has come to terms with what God wants him to do, says, God, when I go to the Israelites, who will I tell them sent me to them? Um... And I want you to hear what God says in response. So that's, that's page 46 in the story, Exodus 3, verses 14 and 15. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And here, my friends, in this I am or this I am who I am is the mysterious and unknowable and mysterious name of God. This is how it's spelled in the English transliteration. Y-H-W-H. How do you say that? We don't even know how to say that. Sometimes we interpret it Yahweh. Sometimes we say it's Jehovah. We don't know. We don't even know how to say the name of God. It's that much beyond us and mysterious and powerful. But what this name reference essentially is, is God saying, I am the eternal self-existent God. I, I am the one who has always existed in time past. I am the one who exists now. I am the one who always will exist. I am the one from whom everything that exists, I am the one from whom they come. I sustain their existence. Tell them I am has come to act on their behalf and to free them from their slavery and their bondage and their suffering. I am here to take them from their powerlessness and their hopelessness and their incredible need. I am here to deliver them, says God. And again, that's their lower story. That's what they would hear. I want to ask you again. You ever feel the need for that kind of help in your life? You ever come to a place in your life where you, where you just say, I can't do it on my own and there's something greater in me that's at work and I cannot overcome it? My guess today is there are a lot of people here who experience that exact thing. Very aware of their need. And you just need someone beyond yourself and greater than yourself to step in and to help. Truth is, all of us need that from the one who is called I am. Second thing God reveals after he reveals his name is his power. 
Have you come to terms with the power of God? Have you ever experienced it in your lower story? You know, Moses is sent to Pharaoh and he confronts Pharaoh. And uh, why would Pharaoh, the powerful king of Egypt, listen to him? But he throws down the staff that God has given to him and that staff turns into a snake, a miraculous expression of God's power. Well, Moses, not being a fool, calls in his e Egyptian magicians and says, match this man's power. And they do. They throw down their staffs and miraculously, they turn into snakes. But what happens then is that the snake of Moses' staff consumes, eats up the snakes of Egypt. And God says, I'm more powerful than what you know. Now, time goes by, and Pharaoh, of course, resists the command of God to let my people go, and God sends the plagues to Egypt, the famous ten plagues. There's the, the plague of the water of the Nile being turned to blood, and then the frogs come, and the gnats come, and the flies, and the livestock is killed, and then the boils. Can you imagine everybody having boils all over their body? Then the hail which destroys crops, and the locusts in the darkness, the first nine, and then... At times, Pharaoh agrees. He says, enough, enough, I'll let you go. But even then, God intervenes, and God changes his mind. It says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What's happening? God is proving, even in this instance, I will decide when my people go. I can turn the heart of God, in a, mo a part of Pharaoh in a moment. I am God, not this man. See, God exercises his power. He reveals himself as a God of power, both to the Egyptians and to the Israelites. And the third thing God reveals, first his name, then his power, then his plan. See, this is the upper story dynamic that God is working through the whole Bible. Listen to it. I want to read to you the, about the 10th plague, the, the plague that ultimately would shake Pharaoh to the point that he eventually said, get out of here. I don't want you in this place anymore. I'm going to read various verses from chapter 11 and 12. It's on page 50 of the story. I'm going to take a minute to do it. I want you to listen, to hear this story and let it impact your life. It says this, Now the Lord has said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does... He will drive you out completely. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn of son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of a female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there ever has been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark or any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me, saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, Aaron being his right-hand man, This month is to be for you the first month the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. Note that. And you may take them for the sh from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where the, they eat the lambs. 
That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in, in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top of your on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and side of the door frame and will pass over the doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. The Israelites did what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight... The Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go. And also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise they said, we will all die. My friends, what a remarkable story of what is called the Passover, when the angel of death passed over those doors, those homes, which were marked by the blood of a lamb which had been slain, sacrificed for their protection. And I want to tell you, my friends, that day they were, they were free. They were set free to go. And they traveled to the Red Sea, which parted for them, as you know the story, I'm sure many of you. And they walked through it on dry land. And then they turned around as the army of Pharaoh entered into that place and the water covered them over and they were destroyed. Can you think of that moment when they recognized in their lower story what had just happened their powerful oppressor was no more and they were free of his power free of his oppression free of the suffering that had been caused in their lives that was their incredible lower story i want to ask today what's our lower story what does that mean for us well the bible says I'm just going to throw it out there that every single human being born is enslaved to sin. Are you? <laughs> There's a power that's at work in us, causing us to suffer in our lives. It is too powerful, powerful for us to overcome on our own. Like the Israelites, we're helpless and we're hopeless. And we need deliverance from this sin which keeps us in bondage to addictions, to selflessness, to greed, to all those things that destroy life, 
to those things that destroy our relationships, that sin is a real presence in the life of any human being born into this world, and they are unable to break free from it. The power is too great. God sees us in our need, and in his heart is the desire that his people be set free. Let my people go remains the cry of God. He wants us free from it to know life. So what God did to enact his upper story plan was to send his son, Jesus Christ, to this world. The one that John the Baptist called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Listen to me, my friends. There is no Jewish person who would hear John the Baptist say that and not think about the Passover and not think about the sacrificial system that emerged thereafter. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9, Paul is talking about various things, breaking away from rules and regulations, and he says this. Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened, unleavened batch, just like at the Passover, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. You see, Jesus shed his blood as the Lamb of God that it might be applied to the doorposts of our lives, your life, my life, so that we might live and not die. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. A couple of other great verses. For you know that it was not with, the per with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors from whom you inherited a sinful nature. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, just as was commanded in Exodus. You see, my friends, the reality is that the original Passover, which we have read about and discussed today, is simply a picture of what would come, something that would point to the day that Jesus would come and that he would die on the cross, that we, you and me, that we might be delivered from the power of sin and death. Here's the bottom line. In life, each of us, every single human being is born with sinful, sinful nature. And it is what Paul calls our master. It is what Paul describes to us um, a, a, as an experience of bondage to serve under it. We, we are its slaves. Listen to these verses, Romans 7, 18 to 25. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Are you getting it? Are you drawing the parallels? Now listen to his heart cry. I do not understand what I do. Is this you at all? For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Don't put up your hand, but is that you at times? It's me. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, I, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin, listen, living in me. The power of sin alive in me, he writes. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but 
It is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Do you ever feel like that? <laughs> Why am I like this? Why can't I do what I want? Why do I keep doing what I don't want? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Listen. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. I want to tell you, my friends, Paul is he is pulling something out of the exa example and the experience of those Israelite people, and he says, this power is at work in me, and I am enslaved to it, and I cannot break free, and I need something or somebody beyond me to set me free. And that person is Jesus, the all-powerful, eternal Son of God. Moses' example tells us we can't do it on our own. We can't take things in our own hands and kill the Egyptian slave master and make things different in the way that we want. Can't do it on our own. It's not possible. It is only Jesus. Jesus is the deliverer which humanity has needed and continues to need. His, he is the one whose name is what? Number one, his name is Jesus. It means the Lord saves or it means salvation. That's his identity. He's our deliverer. But I want to tell you another name he took to himself. It comes from John chapter 8. People are asking as they are in debate and discussion with Jesus, and you can look at it more detail later on if you wish, but they're saying, who do you think that you are? Who are you to say that you saw Abraham? How can you say that? And here's Jesus' response, John 8, 58. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Again, understand the Jewish mind and what people would have understood him to be saying. What he was saying is, I am the eternal one. I am the one of eternal existence and power. I am the mysterious God who presented himself to Moses and called Moses to go and to free the Israelites. I am the deliverer of this ancient people. It was me. I am Yahweh. I am Jehovah. Don't let anybody ever tell you Jesus did never, didn't ever claim to be God, because there it is. How do we know that this had that understanding and significance in that day to the people who heard him speak? Well, the next verses, they'll tell you the people picked up stones and they tried to kill him because he had committed blasphemy in their minds. You see, Jesus is the great deliverer. Jesus is the one who can set us free. Jesus is the one to whom each of us needs to turn, and we need each of us to apply the shed blood of Jesus Christ to our lives in order to be set free from the slavery and to the bondage to sin that we know. And we are freed in two ways. Number one, we are freed from judgment and death. Remember the angel of death passed over the Israelite people? Without the protection of the blood, they, the firstborn would die. I want to tell you, my friends, we need protection from judgment and death. 
Not that we won't die physically, but spiritually, my friends, it is in Christ through his shed blood that we come alive to God and come into a relationship with God and we are forgiven our sin. And we enter into eternal life here and now, an eternal life that will last forever and ever and ever and ever. Anyone here want that? Freed eternally from judgment and spiritual death? And the other way we are set free is from the power of sin. And our experience of slavery to it, that sin that we can't break free from. You know, we, we come to that place and the, and the shed blood of Christ is applied to our lives. And we are set free so that no longer do we have to serve our taskmaster no longer are we incapable because Christ by his spirit is within us to empower us and to enable us to no longer do what has controlled us for so long. We can break free from substance abuse. Anybody here need that? Don't put up your hand. I'm just... Uh, yeah, there's someone here like that, if not many. We can break free from the reality of greed which takes hold in the human heart or selfishness which destroys our relationships, that anger problem that we cannot control and only harms the people we love. We can break free from that critical spirit. We can break free from lust, which is so powerful and prominent in this world of ours, pornography or any form of sexuality that is outside God's ordained plan of marriage between a man and a woman in covenant relationship. You see, you can apply this reality to your struggle, but my friends, Christ can set you free from its power. We need to appropriate that power in our lives. We need to learn how to do that, but Jesus by his spirit is within us, and greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And you can be set free if you are his. Just like the ancient Israelites were once set free not only from judgment and death but from their evil oppressor now if someone wanted to take hold of this if someone wanted to activate this in their lives what would they do I'm going to tell you the beginning of this journey is to acknowledge that you have been captured by sin the beginning of the journey toward Christ and the cross and his deliverance is to sit in his presence and recognize the sin that is at work in your being, the power of that sin, and the fact that so often you have yielded to it. Don't hear a lot of this in preaching anymore. <laughs> but this is the bad news that the good news counters. And there is no good with good news without no really good news without bad news. And every single person here has got to deal with the reality that I am sinful before God and I need God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. If you have never gone through that journey with him, if you have never had that encounter with God where you just simply acknowledge your need of deliverance, you acknowledge your need of the shed blood of Christ to be painted on the doorposts of your lives so that you can be forgiven, my friends, you need to do it. once you acknowledge that reality of sin in your life, you simply, with every fiber of your being, confess it to God and ask God to forgive you of all of your sin. 
And I want to tell you, based on the authority of Scripture, God will do that. He has promised to do it. It is why Christ has come. He has shed his blood for your sin and for your forgiveness. And I want to tell you, in that moment, you all of a sudden are drawn back into relationship with God again. All of a sudden, God takes you to himself, and, and, and he makes you his own. And you are forgiven. And you are given his spirit, and you are empowered. Not by your own strength, but by his strength. To overcome that which has once so powerfully controlled you. See, I want to tell you, this is the heart of the Christian faith. This, this is it for those who wish to follow Jesus and wish to know him and love him and serve him. It's a movement from death to life. It's a movement from a lack of repentance to one of great repentance and a seeking of forgiveness. It's a movement from being separated from God to being reconciled to God. And it happens because Jesus shed his blood and he died on a cross that we might be set free. I want to wind up today before we move to the table to, to communion. I just want to say with all the seriousness that I can muster in my heart, my friends, whether you've been in this church all your life or whether this is the first day you've been here, have you gone through that journey with God? Have you admitted your sinfulness before him? No excuses. No holding back. God, this is just where I'm at. Have you confessed that sin and asked him to forgive you your sin based on the shed blood of Christ and have you yielded your life to him as Lord and Savior your Lord your Savior from this point forward to those of us who choose to walk in that way we my friends are set free from judgment and death and the power of evil which is being at work in us. You know, we're going to move to communion. We're going to do it right now. And we're going to discuss and ask the elders to begin to take the linen off the table. We're going to recognize that what we do in the communion experience, the experience of the Lord's Supper,